0: Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. I'm your host, James Hilmer, and this week I had the really amazing opportunity to talk to a legendary stand-up comic, Jackie Cation. Jackie's been doing comedy for several decades. She has the Jackie and Laurie Show with Laurie Kilmartin. She has her own podcast, The Dork Forest. She has a special called This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux and several albums. I put links in the show description to find everything Jackie's a part of. You can go to her website and sign up to her email list and get on her Sunday service Zoom shows. I've been going for many months now through the pandemic. That's kind of the focus of this episode. We talked a lot about how she's used Zoom and other platforms to keep honing her special that she's been crafting through the pandemic and really created a nice community for stand-up comics to Keep working on their craft even through this difficult time. This was uh, really a dream come true. I've liked Jackie for a long time, so I'm very excited for this episode and I'll get right into it. This is Jackie Cation. welcome to don't sit in the front this week i am talking to jackie cation if you're listening to this uh very niche podcast that digs a little bit too deep into stand-up and the nitty-gritty of it uh, she needs a little introduction but uh she has the jackie and laurie show uh, with laurie kilmartin uh kind of a pillar of uh, my news on stand-up and how things are going in the world of stand-up and especially in uh these weird times uh, but Jackie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Nobody ever cares about the Dork Forest.
0: Oh damn!
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's Kill Martin doesn't care. Damn her, and she yeah. was on too. She was on it. What about was her the- topic? Her and her and Kathleen Madigan both talked about the Kennedys. I didn't know anything oh. about them except for John. Turns out there were a lot. There was a big family. Catholics, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so Kilmartin and Madigan talked about, and that was one of the first pre-recorded, so it's like 200 episodes into a show I've been doing for 14 years called The Dork Forest, where I interview, and I interview a lot of comics, so if you love comedy and comics, go to The Dork, Google the words dork, like nerd Mm -hmm. or geek, The Dork Forest, and your favorite comedian, and you got a pretty good odds that uh, that person is going to be on the show talking about something they love, like bees or... Or Elvis Presley, or some damn
0: thing. Anyway. Yeah. So you have, you've been relatively busy then still with your podcasts, both of them uh, in the pandemic, but you've also been doing a lot of Zoom shows. That's something I've been talking about with people on this show, uh, talking about the kind of their transition from sets they were doing around LA or uh, if they were traveling, how that all came to a halt. And then many people sort of retreated from. Uh, having to do front-facing comedy or Zoom shows or however, whatever platform they were doing it on. Um, But I was impressed by the fact that you really sort of leaned into it. Uh, You made Lemonade Out of Lemons. And uh, can you kind of walk me through just what was your thought process when you uh, saw the problem we were facing and then kind of leaned into that?
1: I have a question. Uh, Did you Have you interviewed comics who aren't doing it and are not into it at all?
0: Um, a few people have, they feel very strongly. So some people I talked to are very adamant that they did not want to try it at all. But that was back in, say, August or September when I started (laughs) the show. Sure. And they were Um, maybe still holding out the hope that this would be finished or over with by now. But
1: Right. I mean, that's that is the great problem is that is that if you wish to continue to do stand up comedy and you don't want to put your life and other people's lives in danger. uh, Your options are something on the internet, something over, over the web. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so when in March, when I came off the road to go into lockdown, like everybody, I, I, have a new album that I've been working on for oh three years now Mm. and I was supposed to record it uh, a couple of times in the last uh, six months and it has not happened, Mm -hmm. but uh, because we're still in lockdown, but I knew that I needed to still work on it. So I, I knew that zoom wasn't zoom and Instagram and Facebook and Twitch Mm -hmm. and discord and you know, whatever, whatever. I know that they're not ideal, but I'll tell you something about standup comedy. It's not always ideal. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've done uh, any one-nighters in uh, in North Dakota. It turns out they're not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to tell me that, that Zoom comedy isn't, that internet stand-up isn't real, then please defend me, Laughlin, Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it is as, it is different and weird. I mean, your I, my ideal stand-up comedy situation. Is literally a low room, two hundred and twenty people, mm-hmm. uh, two hundred of which came to see me. Twenty of which don't know me, and mm-hmm. uh, by the end of it, love me. And then uh, I am following really smart, fun comics. I get to do about fifty to sixty minutes. They carry me off stage in uh, with uh, you know one of those uh, thrones, and then uh, I sell six hundred dollars worth of merch. so that's that's the dream world you know some people want it to be carnegie hall i've played Mm -hmm. carnegie hall turns out it's not set up for (laughs) stand-up you end up shouting at the fourth tier hey do you want to hear my dune joke i mean it's completely (laughs) it's completely insane so so i did it because it was the only it was the easiest only option right Mm -hmm. other people did outside shows? They created outside shows. Like Tammy Jo Deering created something at, at the Magic Castle in their parking lot, where people have to drive their cars. She has to yeah. rent equipment, and
0: and you did that one.
1: I did do that one once. Yeah. Um, the um, but this everyone has a laptop or a phone, mm-hmm. and then we all ended up buying ring lights and yeah. and uh, and and better. And other people bought better equipment. Um, I had pretty good equipment because of the podcast yeah. si- situation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of comics already have that going. And you yeah. just have to make sure that the lighting is okay. I remember when someone, I was probably a week into it, and someone said, you know, the light has to be behind the camera because then it's shining on you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, now I know yeah. that. And uh,
0: Yeah. So I wonder then... Uh, so you quickly adapted and were doing a lot of sets to prepare for recording a special then, or an album or a special, but then you, how did that change your process then of how you usually work material? That's kind of one of the reasons I love listening to Jackie and Lori is you will both always check in with each other and get very into the minutia. You're like I tried out this many minutes, I got a new chunk. Um, I, it's like... right. It's yeah, yeah. inconceivable to some people that someone not doing it. Like I'm just a fan, uh, but I love all that inside baseball. I like that you guys br- uh, break unpack that down, it. unpack yeah. it. How did it change then when you're trying to prepare material on this Zoom format, or is it not that different?
1: Well, it's 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 very similar, right? Because because um, what it is is it's essentially it's stand up. When you do a new room, you have to learn how to do it. Right, mm-hmm. So when you f- you're first doing open mics, you're performing for all other comics and yeah. maybe like one wandered in person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you write material, you end up working for those that crowd. You end up working for those stand-ups. And that's why you have to try to get away. That's why you have to try to get into more booked rooms. And mm-hmm. um, even if they're a VFW in the middle of Minnesota, right? Yeah. Where you're like, I wrote these jokes for... T- A dozen other comics and and maybe some comedy nerds who came to see the show because they love stand up um in the case of like big open mics that you do in different rooms um once you take those jokes that you wrote for those people and try them with uh 50 or 100 strangers Mm -hmm. then you work them to see if it's uh uh to see how they need to be tweaked or changed or if they need to be tossed away and and maybe you could save a line and put it in something else but that's mm-hmm. all. So when I went to Zoom shows Zoom has a couple of different things going on. There is the lag, right? right? Of of the of whatever your internet connection is. I mm-hmm. uh I went with a an ethernet, a hard ethernet cable.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
1: a couple of months ago.
0: Uh-huh. And, I got to get uh, on that level. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> essentially, uh, just moved another, um, router out into my garage, this, this tiny room in my garage. And then I just got an ethernet cable with an adapter because nobody's laptop has an ethernet jack anymore. Right. Anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's that lag. So you have to, the timing gets fococted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the other problem is reaction you know you're like i'm in gallery view yeah and i tend to just kind of watch i'm, I'm watching certain people you know if my mm-hmm. joke is about dudes i'm looking for a dude uh-huh. if my joke is about um black people i'm looking for a person of color mm-hmm. uh, because that is uh exactly how much I need to be approved. I need to be (laughs) approved of by the specific person that I'm sort of writing the joke for. Yeah. Well, the way
0: that specials (laughs) are edited kind of do that too. Like you've seen that kind of uh, technique where they, they focus on who's (laughs) being made fun of. Yeah.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Whoever's the joke is, they, they always, they do, they always cut to him in the, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what they're doing, which is so funny that the editors know the comic wants to know. Uh huh. How did that couple react to that joke about couples? Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's a different experience. And then working the like every Sunday for 10 months, I've been doing I've been working on this album and purposefully for the first six or eight months, because I, too, thought it would be over. Mm. Not really writing a lot of material. Essentially all of my new material I'd start up front and then just and it was mostly quarantine, COVID, uh, civil war related, right? I mean, it was just sort of throwaway stuff. Yeah. And um, and then I would work on this on on essentially twenty to forty minutes um every Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm. And quite
1: honestly, a core group of the same eighteen to twenty five people come every Sunday. Uh-huh. Who watch me do the same material. And they've come for so long, they've seen me work on what is now an hour and a half of material. Mm. They've watched it get slight I mean, talk about comedy nerds. I mean, they're watching mm-hmm. me change a, a beat every yeah. week. And and they they have as much vested interest in this damn album <laughs> as I do. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that's, that was one thing I liked about, well, I loved living about in LA was I could see people at different venues doing the same sort of process, a lot more parking involved, a lot more uh, actually going out of the damn house to go see it. Sure. Um, and now we can sort of see that. It, that's a, definitely a way to a positive spin on is we can see that process. I don't know that everyone is approaching it the way you are. I'm kind of curious that uh, curious to know if you always had that kind of practice and methodology or you had developed it over the years because you've uh, done it for a while now and you had to really find your system. Did you start out being so into the minutiae like that?
1: Oh, I think that the, the, uh, the art of it or the, the task of getting the joke, right. Especially if you're going to do an album mm-hmm. lends itself to that minutiae. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, Different comics write different ways, right? The way they uh, some people actually write it out, rehearse in front of a mirror. Um, some people type out the the whole joke and then sort of look for ways, and then and then memorize it or work from that memory of it to sort of mm-hmm. learn lines and stuff, and then also react in the moment. Some people write on stage, and I do an amalgamation of sort of all of it and yeah. and I used to just write on stage I'd mm. come up with essentially just you know bullet points of what the joke is going to be I got one punchline I got I got one tag that means that I can fuck around in the beginning uh, mm-hmm. kind of meander around the premise I have saved by that punchline meander around see if there's anything else there saved by that tag and mm. uh, and then those two scribbly parts are the parts where I'm trying to write more punchlines and more um find more angles and stuff like that so that's the initial that's what I started out back in the 12th century when I first started doing stand up
0: uh-huh. yeah
1: and then and then the more sets you do you know whether you're getting paid for them or not but as you get paid for them and you're doing longer shows You could do, you could bookend stuff, right? You could do the Mm -hmm. the opener's gonna work, the closer's gonna work. There's a little bit of room, you got a bunch of material in the middle, but then there's a little bit of room, there's a nugget in the middle where you can work on some stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would mostly do. And then I started doing, when I started opening, I've been friends with Bamford, Marie Bamford, since Mm -hmm. 92. In 2000, 2000, 2001, Mm -hmm. I think I started opening for her. Mm -hmm. And so if you go on the road with somebody, you don't spend, you know, you don't spend the whole time with them. You usually eat like one meal a day with them. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then you might, and in Maria's case, we'd have, you know, we'd have like either an early dinner or we'd have a late lunch or something. And, um, and then we might spend an hour uh, doing joke machine. And joke machine is just sort of bouncing bits off of each other. Mm -hmm. And to see, what the other person might do to um sort of add to it like Mm. what what it's always nice to get another perspective especially someone you respect and um and that's the i mean and that's the key to it you want to hang out with somebody who you think is at least as funny as you are and uh then um and then you you tell them the joke you're working on. They might have a tag, but more often than not, what they really have is some insight into what they wanted to know more about the topic. Mm. You know, like I have this bit about this brand new bit, like in the last couple of months, I've actually not even months, two weeks, maybe time is so Harder. weird. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've come up with like three new bits to work on because now I'm just like, well, screw it. The album's gonna come out when it's gonna come out. Just keep yeah. writing, and hopefully you'll get to do jo- those original jokes, which are still good, but they <laughs> happened three years ago, yeah. so it's hard for me to just keep the keep my interest. Quite honestly, yeah.
0: Well, I'm can like, you sense anything where it's just anything you had developed before the pandemic, where now you're like, that's just not gonna be relatable, or that's not. Or or are you always sort of thinking about how to make things evergreen in a way? It's kind of hard, too, because you you started recording or you started uh, honing some of those bits when we were in the the depths of, you know, the Trump administration or whatever. And I I have to imagine you're commenting on it, uh, seeing some of your when I've seen you uh, do comedy before. So is anything just not going to really work now by the time you get it out there? Or is it you try to make it evergreen?
1: I was wondering about that. You know, my whole thing is to make everything evergreen, even if it... I have have four albums, right? Mm. They are all available streaming. Please knock yourselves out. Yeah, I'll put a lot Uh, of links to everything. Okay. And Mm -hmm. um, the Pandora, I have a Pandora station, the Jackie Cation station, which Mm. blessedly rhymes. Yeah. But but there's a couple of jokes. Like I I don't really do, I've never really done political comedy Mm. and certainly not by name, though I do have one track, which is so funny that I called it because I called it George W. Bush, uh-huh. which is so weird, because it's a dick joke, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to. I mean, all it does is it starts out of this whole thing. I mean, literally, it's the premise that, like, it's on my set list as George W. Bush because mm. it gets me into the joke. Yeah, but that shouldn't be the track listing uh, uh-huh. because because it's just how, like, I, I get into the joke because George W. Bush didn't want to go to church. He never went to church.
0: Huh, yeah.
1: Which led to me talking about church, which led to me talking about the rapture, which led to me talking about uh, a dirty joke. Uh-huh, yeah. So So, um, yeah, so it was not anything,
0: mm.
1: <laughs> it was weird. But so, I don't... um. I forgot what the question was.
0: Well, I just, I wonder if uh, things that you had developed before the pandemic and then have oh. had to hone through the pandemic and then if the album comes out sort of after, whatever we can imagine is after uh, or soon. Yeah. Um,
1: I worry you about have to that, burn things. quite honestly. Yeah. I worry, because I have, yeah, like I do wonder, yeah, the, the there's a bit that I don't like to work on that I've mm-hmm. worked on a bunch in... in because it needed to be worked on that may not even make it into the, into the album. And it's this whole thing about how I pushed an old man. Oh yeah. Who could, but racism isn't going to go away. So maybe, right. like I pushed an old guy because he said the N word and then he, then he was made fun of America and I lost my yeah. temper, which doesn't, it's such a, out of, it doesn't feel in character.
0: Yeah. I've been uh, stressed <laughs> hearing you do that, that bit before. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause it, mm. it oh, now, now that's interesting. Now, why were you stressed? Cause you just, cause,
0: cause I, I had a well, character and I can relate to when you, you have certain ideals and values and then you're finally put in the test. Okay. Now you have to act on it. And then it was like, was that the right guy to bring it out on? You kind of talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And then like, did I react in the right measure and in the right way? Was it going to help my cause? Was it going to turn him further away? Yeah, right. all of those things. I think a lot of people can relate to that who are always worried about, OK, when I when I receive my test of my values, am I going to do it correctly?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's true. You know what? That isn't. See, see what that is, is that's an interesting way that I could make that evergreen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just to... want
0: the uh, listeners to know that Jackie Cation <laughs> is now writing a note after something that I said, <laughs> and uh, I'd never really imagined that would happen. So this is having a good well, time.
1: <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. That, all good. That's awesome. It's, um yeah. um Yeah. Anyway, so let me try to, try to stay in this moment. Hi. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there we go. Mm-hmm. But um, – yeah, so so th- that's the big, that's sort of the biggest bit. But but the good thing is, is anything that's that's I don't consider my act political. I consider it at its at its most intense. I consider it socio political. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's been true from the beginning. Where like if I'm making fun of reality television, mm-hmm. there's going to be a weird socio political joke in the middle of it <laughs> that doesn't make any. I mean that someone would say I mean I see now why some people were like I still don't agree but uh, because I believe in the audience more than this but there was a Mm. guy who would not book me and this still burns we're Mm. talking 1994 Uh, he wouldn't book me in Baton Rouge Uh
0: because he said
1: you're too smart for Louisiana and I was like they get television they have cable (laughs) Yeah, there's smart people in, in Louisiana I mean I think that that there's also a bunch of goobers but i mean mm-hmm. if you drive 45 minutes out of los angeles i mean i you probably you don't even have to leave los angeles quite honestly but you can yeah. but they're more spread out and easier to find
0: so i that kind of gets me i don't have an artful kind of uh art of interviewing way to do this but i just wanted to say like i'm i'm also from wisconsin you kind of talked about regionalism oh. a little bit there it's kind of my way to shoehorn in this topic but um you've lived in la for a while uh, ha- maybe haven't lived in wisconsin for a long time but i wonder what's your earliest memory of liking stand-up
1: oh what's so interesting about stand-up is that we never listened to it when i was a kid
0: mm. um
1: like I remember hearing the Noah bit by Bill Cosby, may uh-huh. he rest in peace. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I will say that till he's dead, and then I will I will say may he rot in hell. Yeah. But until then, he can rest in peace. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, but the but the Noah bit, I remember listening to it and thinking, who? What is this? Well, I fe- I felt like you know Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm like what the hell? Because it was a story. But it was just a, it was punchlines. And mm-hmm. and then the next stand-up I saw, I am sorry to say, was uh, a game show, which mm. uh, makes, which just means that comedians needed $450. <laughs> uh, and it was called yeah. Make Me Laugh, uh-huh. and Gallagher was on it. Mm. And um, I always thought, when I was a kid, and I was, I was probably 14 or 15 when I saw it, and mm. And I remember seeing Gallagher on make me laugh, and then some. And then I think my stepmother was like, "Oh, he's on he's on Carson tonight. You're going to want to watch him on Johnny Carson tonight." Mm. And I'm like, "Okay," because I laughed at his thing. He made he made the person laugh. He made me laugh. And I watched him on Johnny Carson, and I distinctly remember because he performed in front of uh, a giant couch. Right. Yep. And he did a bit about giving away money so that he could write it off on his taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, re- I, uh, I remember laughing at it going, this feels contrived. This feels not... I, the words I remember and this doesn't have any value in reality, mm-hmm. but it wasn't fair. I didn't think it was fair. Uh-huh. So uh, I was like where's the writing is what I think was my first
0: <laughs> your first note for another comic yeah,
1: yeah my first note for Gallagher uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in 1978 uh, <laughs> So but the uh, but the weird thing is is about stand up is that it um, so I saw stand up in when I was I must have been 19 when mm. I went to a comedy club I always wanted to be I actually always wanted to sort of be an actress Or in theater mm-hmm. Or something like that I always liked that idea um, And I saw stand-up when I was 19 And I was I heckled I, I It's a great indictment against me oh,
0: Wow, um, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a very dark secret, yeah
1: <laughs> It's a, oh Christ yeah. And so and the manager actually I was so drunk The manager had to mm. come over and tell me to shut up Uh And and, and when he told me to shut up, he was trying to be funny about it. And he goes, open mic is on Sunday. Shut Mm. up now. And I came back three weeks later and did open mic. And essentially, it was like, I imagine heroin would be if you ended up liking heroin. Mm -hmm. Because I ended up doing stand up every day. Almost every single... Because I was the only woman, of course. It was 1984.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I was the only woman and... um,
0: This was in South Milwaukee or was this... No, it was in Madison.
1: It was in Madison.
0: uh, Did you go to school there?
1: That's where I went to college. And I wanted to drop out of college. And Mm -hmm. my sister wouldn't let me. And the club burned down. So luckily... I Where was I, I went?
0: I went to school there as well. I grew up in this. the will be yeah. opaque to the listener, but I, uh, <laughs> I unless you know me, uh, I lived in Johnson Creek, Wisconsin, from kindergarten through high school, uh, and then went to school in Madison. You if Johnson you probably, Creek. It was uh, probably that... almost nothing when you lived there, but uh, it's still just sort of the the Pinecone Restaurant, the truck stop. Sure. There's an outlet mall. That's kind of it.
1: So, big transit system, obviously.
0: Yeah, yeah, right around uh, I- 94.
1: Uh no, like a Yeah. Uh, oh, I- yeah. <laughs> yes, I see. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's yeah, like three stoplights, yeah.
1: That it is a tidy, that is a very small uh, little farm town.
0: Hmm.
1: Um was it a farm town or was it a, a industrial like was there a, like a corn canning factory? What are we talking um, about
0: here? Well, I get you getting really where in the every, weeds. Yeah, for, where
1: did everybody work?
0: You know, kids I went to school with either lived on farms, maybe their parents worked at like the Tyson chicken, the poultry plant was in Jefferson to the South, there or you, you could commute, It you was know, sort of right in the middle between Madison and Milwaukee. So people might work in industrial jobs going either direction. Okay, so
1: Fair enough. Yeah. yeah so I went to Madison, but I went to Madison from 1983. Well, uh, yeah, it started like the fall of 83 mm-hmm. till uh the spring of 88. Uh 5 okay. years graduated. You may congratulate me. It took yeah. me almost 25 years to pay off my student loans. Uh-huh. And they were negligible compared to what uh people have today. Definitely. And but stand-up comedy doesn't lend itself uh to paying off your student loans. So mm-hmm. um but it was yeah, so it was it was called the State Street Infirmary, and it's where mm. – um, I think there's a Noodles there now. Uh-huh. Anyway, so yeah. – but it's interesting because the guy that owns the comedy on State, mm-hmm. he started his own comedy club. He he owns most of State Street, that guy. He's, oh, he's, okay. a, he's a, a Greek uh, real estate dude, and his mm-hmm. daughters uh, run the club, and he owned – That comedy club, uh, the building, and then he owned the comedy club that uh, that guy, Victor, I think his name was, who came in and did it for a while. While uh, when it reopened a couple of years after State Street Infirmary Comedy Cellar closed. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, George was just like, uh, I might as well just own this thing and uh and it's a great club he's done a really nice job with it and he yeah, also books people really sing
0: app. its praises on uh people i've talked to on this show a couple of people said their favorite place if they did touring it's was easily, comedy on state
1: easily one of the best clubs in the in the country in the mm. world i would say and i've played a lot of different comedy co- clubs around the around the world mm-hmm. and it um but comedy on state acme denver comedy works mm. um the punchline, it's just in a weird spot, but the club itself is is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of great. And then a lot of the other privately owned ones. That guy who owns Wise Guys doesn't book me, but uh, that's a great club.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, do, do you hear the do you hear the rage? Anyway. Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of my favorite features of uh, Jackie and Laurie is you get kind of a, a map of the country and places that will book or not book uh, either of them. And you kind of can build your allegiances that way. Yeah, yeah, it's hmm. fine. Grossman,
1: helium. Feel free to rise to the occasion. <laughs> uh, so, that's so, usually yeah. the
0: next thing I ask people is, "What's the best place to see stand up?" And that could either mean a specific, local, recurring show. You named a few clubs, so maybe I'd ask you additionally, then, what do you think makes a good location to see stand up? And for you, I guess it's to perform it,
1: right? It's uh, well, you know, I mean, some people commonly. It's sort of low ceilings and the good dank, you know, like uh-huh. when you got like a, like a thousand people have smoked there over the last 40 years. And mm-hmm. you could tell that waitresses were probably forced into blowjobs and in some tiny alcove, yeah. <laughs> charming, mm-hmm. charming uh, uh, places where, uh, where there was an abuse of power.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but the thing is, is. Like but if you go into Acme or you go into Helium, which is based on the on the Acme model in Minneapolis, mm. it is sort of a large kind of a rectangle uh-huh. with the with the, the the stage isn't too high. You don't want it too high of a stage because it's nice to sort of be on the same level, which is why a lot of people come to comedy shows and don't think of it as theater. They yeah. don't think like they're going to see a show because it's it feels much more interactive and much more mm. intimate. And it's to some extent too bad because you're like, if you sat there and listened to the show, you would get a better show experience Yeah. Uh, than trying to be part of it. I don't know how do movie theater people feel about their movies being like movie people, like it can't be ideal to know that you've slaved for three years on a film and then they're mm-hmm. going to show it in a place where they're recliners and someone is bringing them dinner.
0: Yeah, yeah. in the middle
1: of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so.
0: And then you, as, yeah. I just can't imagine. Like I teach, and I'll give a lecture or something. I'll give a guest talk. I can't imagine people being served food in the middle of that. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> It's definitely an occupational hazard that you've uh, you have with that.
1: Yeah. And the food usually sucks. Uh, they're noticeably like flappers in L.A. is actually probably, I you know, the ceiling is a little high, but it's mm. not as high as, you know, like the belly room in the comedy store mm-hmm. and the ice house has the good low ceiling in L.A., they're all, they're all short sets, though. I mean, you go and you do these. The Flappers will do a headline set. Like, I think I'm doing a headline set virtually, of course, right now. Mm. But um, but that's a good club. The weird thing about Flappers is that they came into that space and it had a full kitchen. Yeah. So they could hire real cooks. And uh-huh. so their menu is excellent. Mm. One of the, I think it was one of the gifts of it used to be like a Freaking TGI Fridays or like an Islands—I don't know what the hell
0: it was. It was something weird. (laughs) It has that. It's a Burbank, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Has that sort of rotating cast of uh, mall parking lot restaurants in downtown Burbank. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it has that vibe for sure.
0: But you, I mean, you do a lot of stuff with them online with Flappers, uh, just having food to serve seems to be one of the weird things you didn't think about. We're now in the pandemic, the comedy clubs that have a, been able to do take out food are able to at least keep the the rent going. It seems like. Oh, I
1: have to say Flappers is genius as far as like, we're like, we will reopen. What did you need? Toilet paper? Okay. Like uh, when we <laughs> yeah. first went, they were, they were selling their goods as groceries. Yeah. Yeah. That was their first step. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next step, what they're doing right now, in addition to having virtual shows and a lot of stuff like that is, um, uh, they're, they're doing meals on wheels. They're doing, Mm -hmm. uh, senior meals three Mm -hmm. a day. Uh, for like 500, like they're doing 500 meals a day. It's completely insane. Yeah. I wonder if they might keep that gig after yeah. uh, the, just as a, just as sort of a cash cow. Mm. Um, I will say that my favorite, and I have not heard enough clubs doing this because when we first went into lockdown, I offered mostly through Jackie and Lori, but definitely I talked to Lewis who owns my home club, uh, Acme and Com in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, as regular, just cause he's such a good guy. And I was like, if you want to do zoom shows, I will, I helped him set up zoom shows. I was mm-hmm. like, you have a mailing list. I need to work on this album. I yeah. will, you know, you could have all the money um, or we could split the money three ways, you know, mm-hmm. or, or four ways is what it was because for the first six weeks, of lockdown, I did zoom shows for Acme comedy company where I booked it. I hosted it. Uh, I tried to do a different 15 or 20, uh, every time cause it was mm-hmm. the same insider crowd. And, um, and, and we could do it for a couple of reasons because he had this great idea that he's doing right now, mm-hmm. which is he's, he's having, because Minneapolis can have inside shows and that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, I just had to cancel again. But Pete uh-huh. Lee went, and I was super jealous. Um, but Lewis has a 4K camera setup. Okay, like It is a, an amazing audiovisual setup that he has. And so what, he, what he's doing is he's doing live shows that he's also pushing to Zoom. Right. So if you look at uh, Acme's calendar... Acme comedy company in Minneapolis, see a headliner that you want to see, but you happen to live in rural Canada. Yeah. You can spend $10 and watch that show Mm -hmm. via zoom. And then he splits that money with the comic. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, and then they also get their base pay for doing a live show in front of the, you know, 60 people that are allowed in his building.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, which is fascinating. And, but he's the only one I know who's doing dual like that.
0: Yeah. I, my first instinct was to think maybe people that paid to go in person feel like if it's being pushed out, but people are still paying for it to watch it online. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm still it's, nowhere near comfortable to, to go into something inside, but, uh, who knows? But, if,
1: but it's fun to watch the shows. Yeah. And, um,
0: well, then you the, watching on Twitch, you get to hear a live audience laugh at things, right?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Cause he's yeah. got the audience. Mike did everything. Yeah. And so, and it's not, I don't think he pushes it to Twitch. He just, you just buy his, it's like this. Oh yeah. It's just a zoom link. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I think one of the managers, Brandon, he does, he, he switches cameras.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's like produced. Very yeah. Well. yeah. 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 Hmm. So
1: he's, which I, I would recommend, you know, I mean the only, the only real the this the reason why some comics aren't allowing it is because they, like Pete Lee is going to do a um, a Showtime special I guess in May, mm. and so he doesn't want to push it out just in case someone has their phone up and is recording,
0: you know. Yeah, puts it on YouTube, kind of burns that. bit. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Don't want, you, you don't
1: you don't want to burn too bad, and mm. but I but what I have found with the Zoom audiences, is that they are incredibly respectful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Zoom bombers, there's trolls. We got yeah. one a couple of got one a couple of weeks ago. That's because 14 year olds are being created every day. There's some <laughs> new jackass. And yeah. uh, I was
0: kind of going to ask, like, how in the first weeks of you doing your Zoom shows, uh, it, you had to kind of develop some strategies, or uh, yeah. how did you deal with that? Or has that died down? You said the one was just a few weeks ago, but that right. It's, right, it's it's, it's almost
1: the phenomenon mostly went away. Plus the way. The best, I mean, there's better ways, right? There's, first of all, there's already people who are producers. Like, I'm, I just want to do stand up, but I know mm-hmm. that I can't right now. So I also have to produce, like, I produce this show, I produce this Sunday show. Yeah. To get to come to my Sunday show. I have a large project that I've created for myself. Uh-huh. So I did it for Melissa via senior a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. I didn't have a Sunday show because I used all of that energy yeah. that I would have done on my show. Cause it's all admin stuff. It's all an administrative uh, Excel document bullshit Yeah, yeah. because I have to, so I make a flyer and what it is to make sure that it is people who want to see the show and that I don't get trolls. Mm-hmm. It, um, because the reason we got trolls is Maria accidentally posted the link on Twitter. Yeah. She didn't, she forgot about the registration process. Right. Uh-huh. Which by the way, got 80 more people to come to the show. So there uh-huh. were 140 people <laughs> right. at the show and only mm-hmm. one troll that we took care of. And, uh, pretty good
0: ratio. Pretty good. That's not there. bad.
1: And I automatically co-host all the other comics that I asked to do guest sets mm-hmm. so that there's six comics who can do whack a mole Yeah. Right. There's six comics that can find and eject the person.
0: Oh yeah. Everybody's been enlisted in the kind of surveillance. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So
1: it's pretty great. And then, um, but I make a flyer, I say you have to Venmo or PayPal me something like five bucks. Then I send you a registration link. Mm -hmm. So you send me money. I put your name in the Excel document with how much money you gave me and then an x on did i send you the link yes i did x mm-hmm. then i go and i um and i do all of those i make sure i send everybody on venmo and paypal i i respond on venmo i email on paypal and so I, i've done the excel document for that now mm-hmm. i go into zoom it's a registration only show mm-hmm. has everyone registered Another column, XXXXX, people have not. As we get closer, I send out, I have to find these people again and go, the show is in three hours. You have not registered. Mm -hmm. The show is in three hours. You have not registered. So I do that for, you know, not that many. I mean, people, it's been about, the last couple of weeks, actually been about 50 or 60 people a show. Mm -hmm. And and so whatever it is, it's an hour or so of fiddle and diddle is what it is. And, and then constantly checking and then making sure everybody, and then an hour before the show, I changed the name of the show to It Starts in One Hour, mm-hmm. which automatically sends out a reminder email via Zoom to everybody who registered
0: you have your and system down, but you've kind of, you, you've had I'm to now become, yeah, but you've now had to become like the ticket office, the, yeah. the bouncer. Yeah. yeah. You've right. added I mean, jobs. Yeah.
1: Right. And there's people who just do Eventbrite. Right.
0: And right.
1: Eventbrite, um, takes a small percentage, but also does all that work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acme uses, um, that Ticketmaster thing that Mark Grossman from Helium owns. So, mm-hmm. And that takes care of all that stuff for you. Okay. And, um, Rush Tix, which is an interesting new thing that is happening where they have their own platform where they air it mm-hmm. and there's no audience. Like I, I'm doing a Rush Tix show with Maria in February mm. the 27th, I think. And um, and I think Pat Oswalt is doing one this weekend or maybe next weekend. But mm. um, they do all the tickets. They push it on their own platform. They don't have to pay for it's all that. And then... And they get they can get up to fifteen thousand people. I think it was fifteen thousand people who were at Maria's last
0: one. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: And I and I think sh- she made twenty grand or something like that. Uh-huh. So she made like real money and paid me very generously. Thank you very much.
0: That's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, which is which is one of the great things about comedy in general is that there's a, there's a certain point where you're like you think like you've been poor for so long. Mm-hmm. so that when you start making money, comics go in one of two directions. They're either like, oh, oh be super generous, but not, you know, and super generous just means pay low headliner money
0: yeah. <laughs> to whoever
1: is opening uh-huh. for you. Or hoard it a little bit and be kind of shitty about it. And I understand both because you think, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to go back to making 600 bucks for a weekend to mm-hmm. headline I better have a nut, a nest egg. But mm-hmm. I remember when Maria had when she first started overpaying me to go on the road for her was hilarious because she had the sitcom, uh-huh. and so and and then she was doing she was going on the road and she was like she would write me these huge checks and I was like too much too much money and she's like mm-hmm. we don't know how long it'll last take uh-huh. it and uh, and so I took yeah. it because that's uh, someone hands me money I have a hard time not taking it but mm-hmm. then when the the third season didn't get picked up, um she still tried to keep overpaying me to that level and she was finally she was like, "I don't think I can over I don't think I can bring in the road anymore because mm-hmm. I can't afford it." And I was like, "Well, you've been overpaying me for a year and a half so I think I think we can just go back down to low headliner money and uh if that's doable to you and if it isn't, we'll figure something out because you've overpaid me for two yeah. years <laughs> and I bet you, uh we could prorate it."
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we can amortize it over uh, the next year if you need to, mm-hmm. and then she was like, "No, no, I can afford to pay you fair." And so, the weird thing about money is that it's so fluid. I, I'm on a text chain, right? Yeah. And and the discussion. One of the discussions today was just about how how the different like there's pr- there's a lot of corporates and privates now on uh-huh. Zoom. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the rate that people want to pay you. Ranges from like $300 to like $32,000. Some guys yeah. paid me 32,000. I was like I would like five of these a year, please. Yeah. Or cuz you know, I spent, you know, 17 rest, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cuz I spent 17 years making 25 grand a year. Yeah. And everyone is so afraid to talk about numbers. Yeah, and money.
0: But that's and, that's always how they keep us from knowing what we what we're worth. So
1: Yeah. And yeah. I and I was raised in a family that talks about money all the time, mm. but we I never talked about it publicly because I knew publicly that it was shaming. Right? right? You're supposed to be ashamed, which which lets Richie Rich keep the purse mm-hmm. strings, right? I
0: think my generation has wised up to that. I think we have, I've have talked with a lot of friends who are like, we need to talk about this is how much things are supposed to cost. This is how much
1: uh, you, you are supposed paid. to be paid. Yes. Yeah. It also helps with sort of the gender gap, you know, with the pay gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kill Martin has a very funny joke about trans women uh, mm. and uh, how they know how much they they know how much we're supposed to be making. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah. such a great bit. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm freed up to just go. Here's a bunch of numbers, and and it I've you know, I, a lot of people have said it. It I've been poor and I've been rich and rich is better, mm. but there's a certain point with rich and and rich to me means that I could buy a pair of shorts and not look at the price tag.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, I feel pretty wealthy and Mm -hmm. it's not I don't think like just in general, the whole idea of a billionaire just confuses me because you're just like, what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing with
0: it? I mean, there's only It's so weird that they want to hold on to so much more of it than someone who makes so much less. It's a uh,
1: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, e- even even when, like, because one of the first great stories about sharing the wealth sort of thing, as stand-up-wise, was Cat mm. Williams. Hmm, yeah. Is um, Cat Williams would do these arenas, and uh, I think it was on a dork forest, Jeannie Yashere. I think she's told this publicly. I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, mm. but Cat Williams paid her thousands of dollars in cash. Hmm. Uh, in a paper bag. And the first time uh-huh. he, he did it, she couldn't sleep all night because uh-huh. <laughs> she had a, a paper bag of money yeah. in her in her hotel room. And uh, but it was just like it's it's a way it's it's like we're all raised when we're very little to share. You know, you're told to share, you're told to share. It wasn't called socialism when I was four. yeah. And and then you grow up and you're like, nope, no, you're supposed to keep it all. You're supposed to be greedy. Right. And uh, you're like, but, 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 but. and it, I mean, it, it just feels mean in the 11th hour. So whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: This uh, question will feel like kind of caviar problems because you can't tour and things right now, but what sort of show feels like an away game? We kind of talked about what's your perfect atmosphere to do stand up. But when are you kind of looking at it nervous uh, like it's an away game?
1: Oh, um, like when do I get nervous when I play a a room? Sports analogies sometimes go over my head.
0: Uh, Um,
1: Like like is it (laughs) – yeah, is it it what – what are you talking about one nighters that I don't want to do, or are you talking yeah, about um, fancy gigs that Some make people me even would
0: say, like, someone who's very used to clubs would be like, if it's an alt show in a comic book store, they're that's their away game, they don't do well there, or something like that.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, it's one of these things that I was raised in in this. I don't know I I know it's not just me it's a lot of comics are just there was this whole thing where you have where there was a pride in doing every gig
0: Mm. and
1: being able to do every kind of gig you know Mm -hmm. and um like the worst gigs used to be the outdoor gigs you know people make fun of zoom gigs and those people are willing to do outdoor gigs yeah but when we were all doing these when they were when they got to do gravy gigs right like the Mm sweet sweet clubs, um, or arenas or whatever, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have wanted to do an outdoor gig, you know, um, where a train goes by every 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. How, how is that fun where there's no roof? To, for the for the laughs to bounce off of and then hit you in the face. Right. Because that's also one of the, you know, you got to keep people unmuted on Zoom or at least a good handful mm-hmm. so that you can hear some of the laughs. You ever see an after school special about Freddie Prince? Can you hear the laughter? Mm-mm. He kills himself <laughs> at the end because he can't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's
0: the, the one detail I know about Freddie Prince. Yeah. But uh, um, I mean, I saw it. So do you. Have you ever done outdoor comedy though, where you're like, "This is manageable"? Is it, or is it always kind of a, almost a no go?
1: It's almost always a shit show. It's almost always like it doesn't. The best one I did was weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, like Taste of Minnesota or okay. Summer Summerfest.
0: Summerfest. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> those are both uh, uh, comedy. I did a comedy festival that was in a tent. That was okay. Mm. Uh, I did <laughs> a couple of those, and then, but the the best one that was literally outside that was was still half little half-assed was I think it was at a racetrack. Uh, I was opening for Brian Regan. It was in California, mm. and. He just, he likes a theater situation, right? Right. You know, 1,200 to 17,000 people all pointed in the same direction uh-huh. in, in an auditorium or whatever, or in a th- theater.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, there's no intermission. The show's only an hour 15. You could handle it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they sell wine in the lobby before, but that's it. So we're uh, outdoors and the beer stands are open. Uh-huh. And so his manager is like, or the tour manager is like, I'm so sorry about that. And he was just like, well, it's just weird. Okay. All right, fine. That's fine. And he's like, that's fine. You know, it'll be, it's weird, but okay. They're, are they going to close it during the show? That'll be ideal. Mm. And uh, and they're like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And then I remember the tour manager coming up five minutes before we're supposed to go start the show. And he goes, there's a train there's going to be a train and and Brian Regan's face kind of falls. He's like, Oh, is there, uh, when's the train coming? (laughs) And the guy says, if we hold the show 10 minutes, it'll only come once and it'll come probably 10 or 15 minutes into the show. And he looks at me and he goes, can you do 20? Are you willing It are you willing to take the bullet? Are you willing to take the train? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take the train. I don't care about the train. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm not, you know, it's not ideal. None of it's ideal, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you make a crack about the train. You wait for the train to pass. You do your punchline and you get the hell off stage. So mm-hmm. I get off stage. He gets on stage 15, 20 minutes into a set. Another train.
0: No. <laughs> so it was, early or, was it early or late? That's what, that's no, what there were two trains. Head. There oh. were two trains. It was an unknown unknown. Yeah. And it was an
1: unknown. They didn't know. Second train.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: you introduce the second train into the plot. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, I uh, want to do these sort of lightning round if you have to go, but uh, have you ever seen a good representation of stand up, uh, sort of a fictional account? Um I know the audio book of running the lights coming out. I'm kind of curious what you think you read a part for that for some talents book. Uh, But have you ever seen anything where you go, I think they nailed it with uh, that's what stand up feels like.
1: That's a really good question because uh, other, other jobs have that same question, right? Like I remember when my dad heard about Tin man coming out and he's an aluminum siding salesman. Mm. He's like, it's going to ruin the, it's going to ruin the industry. And then he saw it (laughs) and he was like, they kind of stuck the landing. Yeah. And uh, so, but the, I, I don't know. I don't think so. But that doesn't mean that parts of it haven't been captured, right? Like I've seen that Lenny Bruce movie. Mm. I've seen a lot of problem is that there's a problem with depicting stand-up comedy on television. There was the HBO comedy store show mm-hmm. that Al Madrigal was on. Mm-hmm. There's the the fictional women used to do get to do stand-up in the 50s and were respected. Uh like Queen's Gambit of stand-up yeah. comedy. <laughs> uh-huh. And um Miss Maisel, which I haven't watched, but I know comics who've written for it. And uh it's supposed to actually be a pretty good depiction of what it's like being a, co- a woman comic in the 80s, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Um hmm. Then there's the one with Ju- uh, Julie Kasner, Kavner, whatever, where she wore polka dots, mm. and uh, then there was Punchline with Tom Hanks, and uh, right. there was the one with Sandra Bernhardt and I think De Niro.
0: Yeah, that, King of Comedy. Uh, yep. King of
1: Comedy. Yeah. Mm. So, and, and then can you hear the laughter? Freddie Prince story was uh-huh. just an autobiographical, um, and I have I have a problem. And I'm just—we're just gonna go with it. You can use as much of this or as little, because I'm just gonna talk to you now. Because you have to understand yeah. about stand-up comedy. <laughs> the depiction of stand-up comedy is so painful for me for a couple of problems. It's uh-huh. hard to do because you're usually getting an actor portraying a stand-up, which mm-hmm. is hard. Right. And um, great, great actors can do it. Uh, good actors can even, you know, get the timing and all the things. It's fine. Mm. Um. The problem is in the writing. Even if you get comics to write the the stand-up, you can't get a comic to give away their A material.
0: Right, right. You
1: can't get and and watching stand-up comedy, and then the third problem for me is watching stand-up comedy, it's best when listened to. Or when seen live, that is the right. best way to see stand-up comedy. The second best way for stand-up comedy is listen to on with an album, right. an album or uh, audio, just mm-hmm. audio, no video. The next best way is video, um, like a, a special on television or a DVD kind of mm-hmm. situation, right? Um, the fourth and worst way is sort of a Zoom show where you are watching someone else watch stand-up comedy.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Which is what a movie about stand-up comedy is. Mm. Got two removes. You ever see like an episode of Bones or mm. like where it's, it takes place at a comedy club and the comic gets killed. And then yeah. there's a bunch of wacky jokes. And um, you're so removed from the stand-up that mm. it has to be a caricature or it has to be not funny. Like it has to be purposefully not funny. Uh It's either a caricature or not funny. And so it's really hard to depict. And then the biggest problem when they do depict stand-up comedy is the glorification of the byproducts of the job. You know, there's always the there's the Hemingway kind of problem. Yeah. If you want to be a great writer, you got to be an alcoholic and then you got to shoot yourself with your toe. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't want to I don't want to shoot myself with my toe. And uh, <laughs> and you don't have to be you don't have to be Mitch Hedberg. You know, I yeah. mean, the best story for Mitch Hedberg is if Mitch had lived, mm. is if Mitch had stopped doing heroin and drinking and had lived and died in alone um, or married in his bed with his wife like George Carlin yeah you know I mm-hmm. mean that's the that's a good story that's a story of but that isn't and so when people come up and they're like man it's really hard being a stand-up comic and you're like you know what's hard uh sitting at a cubicle uh, assessing insurance forms you know yeah. you uh-huh. know it's difficult but but like you know you think about like in in the Incredibles, you know, that first season, rather the first scene where he's helping that old woman get yeah. those, that paperwork. Uh-huh. That is the, in my opinion, the most heroic thing that he does in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> is when he gets yeah. that gets people the right paperwork and you're like, yep. but that isn't enough. Mm-hmm. That's never, we're, we're always told that we have to be somebody, that we're not enough, right? We're always told that we have to be famous. Where I mean, mm. I have been doing stand-up comedy for 35 years. Mm -hmm. I just got on late night television in
0: 2013.
1: Yeah. It was, and I could have been bitter still, still the opportunity is there. I could still get bitter. Uh, but Mm -hmm. the, uh, but the, the, one of my, the, what I think is the biggest triumph of my goddamn career is that Mm -hmm. I'm not bitter or more bitter Mm. because, I know that that's the interesting thing that Hollywood wants to write about. That's yeah. the interesting that thing that that people who they glamorize, they glamorize the the suicides, they glamorize the alcoholism, they glamorize the drug abuse, they gla- they glamorize the sexism and the racism. Mm-hmm. And these there's no HR, so those are real stories. But that's not the reason I do stand. Like I'm not. I'm not doing stand-ups so that I can hang out with f- f- idiots, fools and, yeah. and, and horrible monsters. I'm mm-hmm. doing stand-ups so that I can make people laugh and laugh myself with other by that's like I have six guest sets these weeks uh, lately uh, on, on Sundays yeah. because I, I want to see what, but I only ask people that are decent, human, like that I would invite to my home.-hmm you know I, I, you know I don't want. I, I, don't, I don't want those guys. I don't want to yeah. watch their mean, stupid, angry, sad sack, self-pitying, whining stand-up. You know, what, what, uh, what, did that, what did one of the liberal red deck guys say in a rant? He said, what isn't America giving you, straight white guy, that yeah. you have to be so angry? <laughs> uh-huh. It was such a great line. And, and that's what sometimes comedy can be. Mm. But that's not most of comedy. Most of comedy is unique and interesting and specific Mm -hmm. and fascinating and even if it's not great it's got potential and that's super fun anyway Mm. i have ranted next question
0: i we can keep in this kind of uh we were in a low spot for a minute you pulled us out with very hopeful message but i go back to the (laughs) (laughs) i'm going back down uh what is your i'll bring us back up though what's your worst stand-up related memory that you are comfortable sharing Oh.
1: God, it, it just happened. It was that thing with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. I had some MAGA lady who came on her birthday just to heckle me. Like she looked at oh. the kind of standup I was. She didn't know me, but she mm-hmm. knew what kind of standup I did. And she was, kept whispering from the front row. And mm-hmm. she it was her, she was probably in her 50s or 60s, super pointy blonde lady and mm-hmm. um, wearing a MAGA hat. She paid extra to sit in the front row with her light, Leonid Brezhnev-looking husband or boyfriend, uh-huh. and he just glared at me the whole time. And she whispered mean shit and weird shit and distracting stuff through my the first ten minutes of my set. I tried to give her the attention she wanted initially, mm. and then she just kept whispering at me, whispering at me, whispering at me. And That's like it was it was genuinely terrifying.
0: Yeah, and bizarre because those
1: guys carry guns. Right, And I was in essentially suburban Chicago mm. And um, And then After the show I gave it 10 minutes so that they would leave And they didn't leave And the dude cornered me Jesus he just he, he wasn't touching me but he kept walking towards me And mm. I kept backing up until I was right At the wall And so I Put my hands on his chest And as soon as I touched him I was like, "Oh, I've broken the rules now, because the and, bouncer uh, nowhere to be seen.
0: Yeah, the, the bouncer was there.
1: On the venue yeah as soon as I touched the guy, the bouncer showed up and I said, "I know red card off to the, you know, that's a sports <laughs> analogy. Yeah, yeah uh, so, And I took myself to the green room, yeah. but I was I literally I was shaking, I was terrified, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't scare easy but it was a terror it was it was literally and i didn't get to do my fucking jokes and i walked like 50 people wow so i felt terrible about it yeah. and um and the people that were at that show were like we couldn't hear anything she was saying what and i walked the 50 people cuz the guy cuz there was a guy who was attached to 50 people who was like just ignore her just just do your act just and i was like you don't understand that there's someone doing this while I'm trying to form sentences. And that's uh, impossible. Mm. And she was saying me weird, mean shit. She's like, how fat are you? Mm. And you know, just weird physical stuff. And then she's like, do you like my hat? Do you like my hat? And, and at one point I said, how long have you been a Nazi? And she Mm. said forever. And I said, well then you're a fucking cunt and you can get out. And, uh, and they, they heard that, but they thought that I overreacted and and I was like, no, we're 25 minutes into my set. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm trying to, and, and the, and the manager was a nice enough guy, but he was a new, he was a new manager. He wasn't the, and so he let them railroad him. I mean, it, it isn't.
0: Because they're afraid of what? They're afraid of like pissing off two people that might maybe leave like a Yelp review or something. It's like comedy fans oh. don't give a shit about that kind of thing. I would think maybe I Right.
1: Well, the fifty people who did leave a Yelp review had the the general manager guy up uh-huh. in arms the next day.
0: Mm, okay.
1: <laughs> and and we had to have a conversation where we had to bring that down a notch because he was furious that it happened. Mm-hmm. and 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 mad at me that I didn't deal with it better, mad at the manager that he didn't deal with it better. Mm. My favorite managers, by the way, are the ones that love kicking people out.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Those are my favorite.
1: <laughs> like Derek over at Acme, mm. he's just like, oh, do I get to kick it? I'll be right back. And, uh, you know, it's like his favorite thing to do at a weekend yeah. <laughs> where someone's super drunk or they just can't won't stop shouting or they can't figure out that they're in public. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, fun for me. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich Miller owned the, com- the Cap City Comedy Club uh, in Austin for the last 20 odd years before mm-hmm. it closed here in COVID. His favorite thing, kicking people out. Love it. He loves it. I think mm-hmm. he lives in Portland now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, Will I don't we know were- why that. Fun fact.
0: Yeah, we were uh, down there and then I bring it up here at the end. Uh, what is your best stand-up related memory?
1: Oh God, so many. I mean, quite honestly, there's like weird there was a weird show, like one of my first theater shows. This is a just a really great memory. I was in per- uh, Perth, Australia. And I was working uh, for the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow, and it was the end of a nine-week tour of Australia, mm. which is too long, too long.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's really long to really do much. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, and it was four weeks with uh, four comics, and four weeks with four other comics, and mm-hmm. I closed with these guys, and it was all. Sort of more uh, like older comics established. Like the first four weeks were with great comics, but they were relatively new. Mm. And so they were riffing a lot. And that was mm-hmm. exhausting. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah. Oh, you
0: mean like when you're driving from place to place? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my God. Look, it's a sign that says rocks fall here. Let's see if I can write a joke for that.
0: Yeah. Please don't. Please don't.
1: <laughs> anyway. So the second, the second half, I was with, uh, a guy named David O'Doherty, a uh, an Irish comic and, a uh, a UK comic, a British comic named, uh, English guy named Stuart Lee, mm-hmm. L-E-E. And if you get mm-hmm. a chance to his Netflix, series where he... Di- talk about comedy nerds. He mm. dissects his act.
0: Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah he does stand up.
1: Stuart Lee S-T-E-W-A-R-T L-E-E. Stuart mm. Lee. And he is uh, one of the greatest comics in the world. It has been off and on for the last 30 years. And I say off and on because we all have bad years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all have mediocre moments. I mean, uh-huh. even even uh, I think uh Carlin had had like a, a divot mm. in his in his writing because it's it you plateau and you and you sh- and you and you peak yeah so but that one it was in a theater Stuart Lee used to do this bit about um so, uh, like, uh, Jesus people came to the door, right? Mm. Um, religious people. So he lives in London. They come to his flat. He, they knock at the door. He answers the door. It's a Sunday morning. And the person says, Jesus is the answer. What is the question? <laughs> and then he does... And Stuart Lee loves silence, willing to do it, willing to sit in the silence like Tig mm. I, not that person. But yeah. Stuart Lee is, uh, so he lets the silence go and he goes, is it? And then he posits a question which has uh, an answer that is not Jesus Christ. Right? <laughs> it's, it's like... Um, those sandals that are sometimes called Jesus sandals, uh-huh, uh, the, yeah. the band, the Jesus and Mary chain band or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the name of that band was anyway. So he does several of those. And in the middle of that bit in the silence, some dude in the audience could not handle it. And he yells out, get to it, mate. <laughs> and Stuart Lee pauses and just looks and finds the guy and he goes, usually I do about two more of these, but for you six, and i laughed and i laughed anyway so but it was just it was it it was yeah that's a great memory Mm. thanks thanks for jogging it
0: (laughs) Mm. well this has been excellent jackie uh i was a bit uh put back on my heels i had forgotten to mention the dark forest wonderful podcast that jackie has jackie and laurie show Definitely a resource for comedy nerds. I, I've talked to comics on here who listen to it weekly. It's kind of their, uh, Aww, Kyle nice. Clark being the producer, talks about it being like a comedy grad school. Um, yeah, wonderful resource. And I love that you're keeping up with your shows through COVID uh, on Zoom. And is there anything you want to plug? Uh, I would say you can do the whole system. Where we sign up to Jackie's email list. You can get on her Sunday service shows. Anything else you want to plug?
1: That's your best bet. That's how you'll find out about it. Uh, I guess, I don't know when this comes out, but Lori and I host a Comic of the Week show every month on a Mm. Monday, 7 o'clock Pacific, um, through Flappers. And it benefits Flappers and it benefits the comics. So we split the door 50-50. So it's not a free show, but if you have $10, it's always amazing. like The next one we're doing has Chandelier Rice, uh, White, White, uh, Judy Gold, uh, Laurie and I do sets, and mm. um, and then one of the newer comics, a woman named Mary Bache is going to do it. And then, um, God dang it, the fourth comic is a delight as well. And mm. do you is- know the
0: date on that? I think this is going to come out the twelfth of February. So you might have missed it, but every okay, week. yeah, but it's a, f- a Monday every month.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a Monday once a month, and it I believe, yeah, I think I think it's February first. So they. You will have missed it. So Mm. yeah. So look forward to the sort of the March one. Oh, it's Maysoon Zaid, Maysoon Zaid, who is a Palestinian, she's a Canadian, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Palestinian ancestry. So I I believe she's Canadian anyway, Mm. but she's great. And, um, but there's always four like sort of killer comics and and then Lori and I each do a 10, 15 minute sets and, and it's, uh, yeah, whatever. Just go to JackieGaisha.com and sign up, and then you'll get to. And my Horcrux uh, DVD, which is my last special from 2014, is for free right now because mm. we're in lockdown, and it's always my pinned tweet on Twitter.
0: Got it. Yeah. I'm going to put all the details to how you can reach everything that Jackie's a part of uh, in the show description and on the social media posts for this episode. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.